Lauren Vaughn and the Metabolic Studio offers the Explorers Club to share meaningful journeys, encounters, and projects in an intimate setting at the Metabolic Studio. Session 10, May 12, 2016, features Mike Randall, Meredith Hackleman, and Millie Mason Moore, who gives us an introduction to mountain and sea adventures on Catalina Island. Let's tune in, connect, and listen. Our journey begins at the port of Los Angeles in San Pedro. Uh, we take a ferry uh, from San Pedro to the island of Catalina. Uh, this freight ship, uh, when we were on the ferry, Mary kept uh, Mary Meredith kept saying, "I'm going to get on that ship, and I'm going to and I'm going to sail all the way to to China in this ship." So <laughs> I thought can, that was kind of cool. I, yes. So one of the things I want to kind of put a little bit bit of a personal touch on this. So why this program? And a lot of the reason why this island was so important to me is because as a kid, I had a chance to experience it because uh, my grandmother had sent me to camp on Catalina Island. And one of the most vivid memories I have is getting on that boat and seeing this big industry in Long Beach and looking at that, just that how muddy the water was and not knowing what to expect. And then going from that and the contrast of going to Catalina Island where that water is just spectacular uh, crystal blue it really leaves a big impact on some on on you as a kid. So it just kind of reminded me when I was a kid seeing that there at the, in, in uh, Long Beach, and then just going from the change and scenery from Long Beach to Catalina Island, it's uh, pretty stunning. And I don't want to go on that boat. I want to take a trip <laughs> at, in the future to China on one of those ships. So, yeah. Slow boat to China. Slow boat to China. So the ferry uh, brought us to two harbors um, instead of Avalon City, which is normally where tourists and people from the mainland go. We went to this uh, harbor where there's only about 250 people that live on this, this port. It's the island's narrow isthmus. Um, so basically what that means is where water is the closest to each other and there's just a, a small piece of land that divides those pieces of water. Yeah, so the, the ferry goes from, there's many different places you can take the ferry to Catalina, but um, when, when we go to visit uh, the camp and a lot of the kids go this way, is you take the ferry and then they pick us up in, uh, in two harbors. And the road to the camp, uh, I'm sorry, this is still two harbors. The road to the camp was pretty whiny, uh, a little scary. Uh, at times, uh, it's very close to the edge of the cliff. But we got to see very beautiful coves on our way there. And you can see in some parts, you can actually see the clarity of the water and how beautiful it is. Is, uh, is, is Catalina part, part of the Channel Islands? Yeah. I don't know. Part of the Channel Islands. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah. And I think it's so important that this island is as beautiful as it is because it really sends a message to the youth that attend this camp. 
especially leaving Long Beach where you see all those polluted waters and you get into an area where there's not very much pollution and you can see the change in the environment, it sends a really important message because that's what probably this, this harbor would look like without all the pollution. So in an environmental science camp, it's really important for them, for kids to see that contrast and to see the difference between polluted waters and non-polluted waters and the impact it has on, on the seas. Yeah, and I think most people just go to Avalon where all the tourism is, but the majority of the out of the island is um, protected under the uh, conservancy there, and it's thanks to the Wrigley family who decided to buy the entire out uh, island so that they wouldn't develop it. So um, it's pretty huge what they've managed to to protect. So there's a lot of activities at this camp, one including hiking. We were able to hike around um, the campsite and just take a note that the campsite actually is owned by the Boy Scouts. Um, Mountain Sea Adventures rents and leases that specific site for, for the youth from certain, uh, certain seasons of the year. Here are the things that we saw during our hike. So a beautiful diversity among the hills. Um, we saw a beautiful sunset. Meredith, of course, collecting uh, medicinal plants. Actually, not collecting, she's just admiring. <laughs> then we walked with Annie. She was giving us a tour of the trails. And Annie is the executive director and a marine biologist from Mountain Sea Adventures. And the founder. And the founder, yeah. thank you. She's the heart. So um, one of the first things that they do is bring the children up a, a hiking trail and then they have a discussion. Want to describe yeah. it? I'm trying to remember. There's a name for, um, for this. The, I can't remember what they call it, but basically they, they bring all the youth up and they have a, like a whole... Was it the trust walk? It, yeah, the maybe trust it is. Yeah. No, that's the one at night. Actually. Oh, you're right. Um, but they talk about basically it's like the introduction to what's going to happen at camp and all the things they're going to do. And um, they ask the kids a bunch of questions, um, kind of their knowledge of the area and um, ideas that they have to to kind of um, get them to start thinking about things so that it'll open them up and they'll be listening for certain certain things and looking for certain things while they're moving through the island. But this is kind of the first intro that they have. So one of the most fascinating things uh, that I actually wanted to see were the bison, but I didn't get to see the bison. But I saw the scat. <laughs> Evidence. And I went hiking for about three hours by myself one morning, and I couldn't find one. But And um, we wanted to learn a little bit more from you about your involvement with the bison. Well, I sent them home. You know about that story, right? That's how, that's how all of my work with Metabolic Studio kind of started, which was uh, when I first moved back here, I went to this camp because the Annenberg Foundation has been a longtime sponsor of the children's programs out there. And uh, I heard about 
uh, a film that was made by the author Zane Gray called The Vanishing Americans mm -hmm. out, out there in the early film history period, like 1920s, 1930s, and they left the bison that they brought out there, they didn't remove them after the film shoot, and so they took over the ecosystem. They were an invasive species, and they were selling them for dog food, um, and it just broke my heart. So the very first thing I ever did as a philanthropist was to re-appropriate, uh, well, I sent them back to the uh, to Rosebud Reservation. They were airlifted off the island. And it's the first animal repatriatization. Um, so I, se I sent a bunch of them back home. And that when we went out to Rosebud, we went to see them, which was a whole other story. But um, yeah, so I had a relationship with the buffalo, but also felt that the, that the uh, it was also kind of connection with a map, mapping that I've been thinking about about all of North America, and you definitely would not have had buffalo on an island. You know, that was a definitely <laughs> like how did what, how did the buffalo yeah. get here? And so it's the film industry. Thank you for sharing that. Sarah made a little stop motion animation from that story. It's on I think YouTube. So on our hike, we also saw these crazy cool planks. I mean, I've never seen this where. They cut down the trees, uh, probably invasive trees, or they want to build something else, and they cut their own planks for their own structures. Yeah, they're drying. Mm -hmm. They also have a small aquaponic system because Catalina is also suffering from a huge drought. Um, from what I understand is that they bring their water from the mainland to the island, and uh, we'll learn more about that in a minute. But I think they also, they have a whole organic garden that was huge, but they had to stop watering it because of the drought. Right. So Also, they had an incredible compost um, area for the children to learn more about the science, but once again, without water, there's not much activity happening at the moment. Some cool canoes. So here are some structures of the campsite. <coughs> I really fell in love with this map. Um, so I think that answers your question about yeah. them being part of the Channel Islands. And this is the first stop from when they bring the youth from two harbors. This is where they stop and they explain the relationship between all the islands and the mainland. That's Annie again. That is one of their camp storage sites. Um, unfortunately, we I didn't have a picture, or we didn't have a picture of their tents. Uh, but this is the mess hall. This is where everybody uh, comes together for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And in the background, you'll see um, other uh, small cabins. That's where uh, the, the staff stays or uh, people that uh, would like to experience the Emerald Bay. That's where they also stay they have the option of staying there. One of the most impressive things that I found was all of their educational signs. There's educational signs everywhere. This is cool, the camper orientation. This is where all the youth come together and they learn about the orientation. So I'm just gonna read this really quickly. Uh, camper orientation, welcome. This is a week about 
uh, about having fun and breaking fears. Emergency, if alarms sound, line up, uh, I'm sorry, line up at the letter at mess hall. Your chaperones would minister also first aid. Boundaries, no one is to be on the pier or at the waterfront without MSA staff present, ever. Stay out of the staff areas, adult bathrooms, cars, work areas, boats, and kayaks. Water, water, conserve water, please. We are on a, a desert island. Uh, three minute maximum shower every other day is allowed. No sand in the showers um, and then report leaks. Drink water often and have a bottle on you at all times. You can also fill it up at the, at the mess hall. Cabins and tents stay out of other people's. Uh, no open food inside. They are inspected before you depart. You are responsible for any damage. damage. Do not throw rocks, ever. Animals, keep away. Do not feed, do not provoke. They are wild. wild. Fear is not in the fierce. Um, we got actually lucky. We were able to see one of, one, like a very young coyote after fox. dinner. I'm sorry, a fox. It was really sweet. We got to see it at mess hall just uh, roaming around in the dark. Yeah, they look like cats. They're so small. Here are some of the educational signs. I, I really like the one on the top left. Less than 2% of the Earth's water supply is fresh. Let's not waste it. So we're going to talk a little bit about the interactive aquarium and their classes. So they actually have a very cool interactive, oops, my bad, uh, let's see, interactive aquarium uh, where it's open on the top and you're, act, and you're able to actually put your hands in it and touch the horn shark, the shovel nose, guitar, fish, and the stingray. I was really moved by that. Can anyone guess why they call that a horn shark, by the way? <laughs> see those big horns that come up off the dorsal fins right there? The little, yeah. You can see little white spots? Mm -hmm. So you have two little horns that come up there. It's a, it's a defense so that um, any predators can't, uh, would have a hard time getting a hold of them. So if you ever pick one up, you gotta grab in between those two dorsal fins. And they, so they dive and they catch the stuff for the tanks and change it out very often so they're only in there for a short period of time but um, they have two big ones actually and it's really cool that kids can interact with all of them and, and learn more about them and um, see what they feel like and they they have some with like sea urchin sea cucumber actually so there's one inside and then there's two of these outside and they're constantly switching them them out um, and finding new stuff to put in there. This is the inside aquarium that Meredith was describing. It's a beautiful octopus. The sea urchin Meredith was talking about. And they also have a classroom inside of the aquarium. Um, it's a space where the teachers get to talk about uh, all the marine life and what's really fascinating is that the divider between both rooms there is an aquarium so the children get to experience the aquarium inside of their classroom as the teachers are describing yeah <laughs> do you want to talk about the husks yeah. I mean those are huge bones and husks from from large mammals um, which are really cool 
Yeah, so you can see the ribs from, from a whale, uh -huh. and you can see the vertebrate, the vertebrates, uh, vertebrate bones from the uh, some whales, I think you can see them. Yeah, they're really, really old. Yeah, it's kind of impressive to see bones that size, realize that there's species that are that large on this yeah. planet. Yeah, but they just, all of their classrooms are really exciting to be in. They all have things you can touch and interact with, and the signage is great, and they have really wonderful young teachers, too, that spend the whole summer there. Very enthusiastic teachers. Yeah. I really, really love it there. How old are teachers? Um, they vary in, in, in ages from like 18, I think they have to be 18 years old, till so about like, 35 maybe. The yeah, director. but it seems most of them are like early 20s though, the teachers, yeah. they all seem really young to yeah. me. Here's a picture of the interactive aquarium and Mike having a great time. <laughs> now to the snorkeling lab. So um, to the left, there is a young uh, teacher teaching uh, young students about what's about to happen with the snorkeling. I love the I know. And there's Meredith in the back. So, as well, um, in Snorkeling Lab, they teach them all about the sea, the marine life that they're about to see. So, one of the things that was really unique for me on this trip, having not been to Catalina Island for several years since I was a kid, just in that short time frame, I've been able to see a lot of the impact and how the ocean looked from when I was a kid into how it looks yeah. now. And so you'll see a lot of these plants that are down there. That's actually an invasive plant known as sargasm. Before that was there, they had these huge kelp forests. They were spectacular, and they provided a lot of habitat for marine life. And um, just in that short time frame, to be able to see the change and the drastic change, um, I think it's important that people are aware, and I think it's great to empower youth um, because they're really the future of this planet. And if you start imprinting them with stewardship, you know, learning how to be good stewards of our earth, I mean, that's the only way I think that we can make our significant impact. Um, I think um, that's one of the things that I really like about this program is that not only do they uh, inform the youth, but they empower them to be able to, to make changes to daily habits that have an impact on the ocean. Yeah, they have a class that is all about plastics in the ocean, and uh, the kids work in groups, um, like teams, to problem solve solutions to the plastic issue. So there's a lot of talk, it's not just about the sea, but just in general, recycling and um, wait, how to deal with waste around the world and, and the kind of effect that it's having. But the ocean is warmed up so much and that that seagasm, that's only been there for like two years, I think. They said it took over because the sea is so warm, it can't, it can't fight back. And the, I guess the sea kelp, the kelp forest isn't able to come back. So they're really, really freaking out about it right now. It's a major issue. So one of the labs that Mike and I experienced were, was the squid lab where they're in, um, encouraging the youth to become their own little citizen scientists so they journal everything and they were able to dissect a squid and also use um, 
squid ink to journal. <laughs> Which it's interesting. Annie really has an issue with this. She yeah. doesn't like that they do this because she feels like it's, um, you know, it's teaching them that you can mess with the with the the fish. So she actually has a real issue with it. We had a whole dialogue about that. Meredith and Mike experienced the bird lab. Yeah, they talk about the different birds, and um, I think I can't remember the names of all of them, but I know they they all had different like they liked to eat different things, and they were uh, markers of how healthy the ocean was, depending on which ones you would see. Um, and then they had a game where they were running. That's the thing. All of the activities around these classes, they have classroom time but then they always have a physical activity that helps them learn the same subject so that you reach each child in the learning, uh, the learning manner that they absorb the best. So it was, I was really impressed with that. Uh, Mike and I uh, experienced the depth, visibility, and plankton lab and break your fears. So um, this is Fran. Fran is Annie's husband and friend was uh, came up with some really cool uh, contraptions that he made himself out of a bucket and right and yeah. all sorts of different really cool things that he found and he was able to make all these uh, incredible devices in order to for the children to learn about the depth the visibility and also how to collect plankton for their lab so the children uh, or the youth uh, collect the plankton and then they go and they go into uh, to one of the classrooms and view the plankton under a microscope. Now this is also an opportunity uh, because the boat is, what would you say, 50 feet, 100 feet? It's about, yes, probably about 50 feet. About 50 feet away from uh, the shore and this is an opportunity for the youth to be able to jump off the boat and break their fears. That's huge for me. Like I, yeah. I'm scared. I'm scared. If I don't see what's underneath, I won't jump. But so this was huge. One of the reasons that they thought that breaking their fears was so important to their program because not only does it build character, but so many of these kids that they don't have the opportunity to experience the ocean much. So there's a lot of natural fear that they have just being on the island. And so when they're able to go there and they're able to do certain things, they get it not only. Not only does it help them with their fear, but they get a sense of accomplishment that goes and adds to their self-esteem, which is important in youth, especially when you're when uh, these these kids are being brought up to um, take on these these responsibilities that are left in their hands. So, um, character building, I think, is a is a great aspect of of, of the program. So um, at one point. Uh, I was talking to Annie, she came to visit the studio and she was really amazed with the work that Lauren and the studio are doing, especially with sound and vibration. And she took it upon herself to, without even knowing that we were singing to the river, she took it upon herself to begin to sing to the ocean to bring back the abalone. So she asked us to go out and snorkeling with her to count the abalone and um, we think that it's working. No, it's definitely, they, I think they've been doing ceremony with the Tongva. There's, there's a site up on the hill where we went hiking the first time we went, and there's abalone shell everywhere. So um, it was where uh, the Tongva, whenever they were there, they do a lot of eating. It's like a, it's a protected spot. 
And so a lot of Tonga come over and do ceremony there and work with her. So they have been doing intentional ceremony to bring back the abalone. And it's definitely helped because you used to never see it. Yeah. And now, cool. now we're finding it. Just to reflect a little bit on some personal experience as a kid being over there and having the opportunity to spend one summer there. Um, I, I only ever saw one abalone. One. Wow. To, to be able to go over there and be able to count 20 or 30 of yeah. them, something's different. So you've yeah. seen positives and negatives that, yeah, in that's, the same mm-hmm. e- ecosystem. It's yes, pretty amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, that was another kind of a neat thing. Another positive thing that I've seen is, is when I first had come to the island, I was maybe in fourth grade. Huh. And yeah, my grandma sent me there and I to get on that boat that boat was really slow so it seemed like it took forever to get there so you really i mean you're looking south because you think you're going to find hawaii island out there you you don't realize you're just 20 miles off the coast so um but one of the things that was pretty neat about it as a kid and being able to see this 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 you know coming i lived out in the desert most of my life so that was a totally new environment for me to even see or witness and um that was when I first met Annie before MSA had even started. And Fran came into the picture at the same time. So I was able to watch their program form from an idea into what it's become. And you know, that's, that's something re- really positive that in my time frame I've been able to witness myself. So that was why it was special to be there. You want to talk about the corn shark? So this was on our first visit out there, and there's a horn shark. Right in the center, right yeah, there. Yeah, he's hiding barely see him. So, anyhow, um, when, when I when I had spent a summer there, because I I had gone to um, camp as a kid in fourth grade, but then when I was in high school, I needed to make money because I was on um, I was on sports and I had to pay for that myself. So I called Catalina Island out of the blue and I asked, hey, are you guys hiring anybody? And they said, well, come on over. And so I went over there and the job they gave me, they taught me how to scuba dive and I was collecting marine life for their aquariums. So, uh, <laughs> so when we saw the horn shark, it was kind of, um, I, I don't know, kind of a neat deal because I hadn't done it in so long to be able to. And that's actually a pretty big horn shark. They don't get very big. Was he struggling hard? I was trying to make sure he wasn't in there turning on my arms. <laughs> so we also, um, Fran took us out to kayak to uh, um, and to admire the bird habitat on Indian Rock. Indian Rock. What would you guess is fifty feet from shore? A hundred feet from shore. Oh, it's a couple hundred yards yeah. from shore. And Mayor was able to yeah. see. When I did bir- the bird lab, um, they actually go out on the kayaks to look for the birds that they discussed. And I spotted a juvenile um, bald eagle. So we got wow. to sit and watch it. And it actually followed us kayaking all around the what? island. It was totally wow. like curious. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And I saw a bald seagull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we were when we were snorkeling, we actually had a harbor seal playing with us 
Um, it was beautiful and it was totally curious about what we were doing. Never came too close, but it swam with us for about an hour. So you can see that the far side into the ocean, that's where Indian Rock is. It was a real tough site visit, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Here are the youth uh, about to go to Indian Rock. And this is actually a new class. That oh, day that we were, were there, they were it. just starting it, and Annie um, taught it. So keep in mind, classes begin, I mean, these kids wake up, what would you say, 6 o'clock, take a shower, 7 o'clock, they're already at the mess hall eating breakfast. They have No, I think, I think breakfast is at 8. Oh, maybe at 8, sorry. Um, but from 8 in the morning till about 10 o'clock, they're all so enthusiastic to attend these classes in labs. This is an evening class. This was probably, what, 8 o'clock at night from 8 to 9 or something? Yeah. You and I were up the earliest. Yeah. We woke up for sunrise every morning. So once again, one of the things that I was admiring is how the youth really took the journaling very seriously. Yeah. They had incredible drawings, great notes. It's just incredible. Yeah, so um, we also had the chance to take a small boat with, with Annie, and she wanted just to take a little cruise and check out if there's any kelp growing along, uh, along um, uh, around Catalina Island, and we weren't really able to find anything. Yeah, we just kept seeing this sargasm everywhere. So this next video, uh, Annie's explaining how this specific kelp washed up to shore. It quit. Okay, so if these hold fast, grab onto a big rock uh -huh. and keep growing, uh -huh. they will keep continue to grow. And there's out there's actually this stuff called um, haptera. Each single one of these is a haptera, and it's got a glue that is stronger than any natural cement known on the surface, and it cements Those itself to the rock. But what happens here is this is you can see. This attached to a scaly tubeworm snail instead of a rock. Because you can see, that yep, that's what that is. That's oh, part of a scaly tubeworm. So it got, it got confused. It didn't choose a rock. And therefore, when the storm came, it broke it loose. Broke mm. We also noticed there were shreds of plastic in the cow. Yeah. Everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's plastic. There's plastic and pollution. That's the little boat on the left bottom. That's Mare um, uh, looking. She found kelp uh, intertwined with sargasm, which is the invasive species. And uh, Annie was explaining her concerns about invasive sargasm. So we started having a conversation about ideas and solutions. And what she had expressed was that there's already someone. Uh, did you say Dana Point, Orange County? I think it's in Dana Point where they're bringing back the abalone and the kelp. So what they're doing is they're, they have kelp farms. So they're growing kelp on the mainland and then they're transplanting it back into the ocean. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's working. Yeah, it's working really well. It's working well. really, really well. Is that a nonprofit? Uh, we'll have to get we to it. Yeah. yeah. 
Mike had the chance to go diving. Um, he actually started at night. We don't have an image at night or a good oh, I saw your video. Get a good I know image I couldn't that. get it yeah. in there. Um, but he went diving at night and Meredith was able to capture some of those images, but we don't have those images here. And here's what he saw. is at midnight. Um, one of the things that's neat about diving at night is the life that you see is totally different than what you'd see in the day. You'll see a lot more eel, lobster, sharks. Um, the, looking at the images on the GoPro though, because you only have a flashlight, so you only get to see what's directly right in front of you and it's hard to pick up on the GoPro. How many lobsters did you find that first night? Oh my night? goodness, there was everywhere, lobster right? everywhere. Because yeah. I only saw one lobster, but it was like I was big. I was so hungry when I got there. <laughs> <laughs> That's all sargasm. They think it comes from um, ships when they yeah. frequent the island. I think it's and from the they're, east. They're all, yeah. Oh, you mean it's um, from all the freighters? It just comes. It's like stuck in their propellers, and so it just took hold two years ago, and it it hasn't died off. Like it used to die off every year, but the temperatures of the ocean are way too warm now that it doesn't ever die off. Right. So they're having s serious issues with it. When Meredith went on her three-hour walk, um, she collected this beautiful bouquet uh, of, of plants just to show the diversity of life that's on this island. Sunrise. And uh, we actually were able to have an adventure from the west end of the island all the way to Avalon City. And that's one thing about Fran and Annie. Uh, Fran is Annie's um, husband. He, I don't think you really see any pictures of him then here. But one of the really unique things that stuck with me is their sense of adventure. You know, as adults, I think we tend to lose a lot of that. And so, I mean, they're so enthusiastic, just like children, when it comes to yeah. learning about, and they're just so involved and they're so passionate about it. It's one of the things that really stuck with me, and it kind of, in a way, helped me with who I am today, you know, because I was able to take, I was able, they've always been my mentors, I've always kept in contact with them. I mean, I was always up in the Sierras, but we always would share our experiences from, from the island to the Sierras, but I, I love their energy that they have and the, how they can pass that along to their students. So, they're, um, I remember I, I only worked there one summer, I think I was 14 or 15 years old, but it was at a, a time in my life that was very, um, uh, that's when you're 
developing and, and it, it stuck with me, just their attitudes and kind of, uh, I think they have that effect on a lot of kids. Shark Harbor is located on the Catalina Island Conservancy and it's actually on the other side of the island. So we got to experience not only one side of the island but also the other side of the island and drive through it. It was absolutely amazing. This is also what we saw in Shark Harbor and the plastics, the death of seals, unfortunately. And you can actually camp on Shark Harbor. We also, on our way to uh, Avalon City, we uh, stopped at the Eagle Avery. Yeah, this That's is a the, golden eagle? Yeah, yeah but oh. the bald eagle that we saw, I guess had been hit, hit by a car, and that one right there. And they had tried to, um, you know, rehabilitate it to go back out, and it, it never was strong enough to live on its own. So it was actually really sad. I mean, it's wonderful that they have this place and that you can see them, but um, I don't know. It was, it was hard to see these two beautiful big birds inside captivity. This is a 1950s Flexpulse bus. I love cars. <laughs> I was like, that's an awesome bus. So this bus actually gives you, um, if you're in Avalon City and you want to take a tour of the Conservancy or the island, jump on this bus. They'll take you around and show you all the beautiful spaces. So getting back to where the eagles were, one of the things that I learned there that I was really impressed by is when they were talking about how they managed the bison on the island. and one of the things in the wild horse and burrow program is they've been looking for alternative solutions that are going to be um, a little bit more humane to the animals as far as uh, getting a proper herd management level. But one of the things that I was really impressed by is they were already on board with this. And then come to find out your part in all this, yeah. I mean, that was, that was kind of a, a kind of an interesting moment for right. me on the on the island I thought that was so yeah. as I've been investigating more and more of those solutions I kind of have already seen where where Lauren has already looked into a lot of those yeah so I'm very impressed by that and the, and the folks there were really appreciative Good. yeah and how well it's working there yeah that's another thing that's a well it's also just how it works here you know that what what I've tried to build here in the studio is a way that we can pursue these things by our passion, you know. So mm -hmm. when I met you, Mike, I realized, oh, okay, here's here's somebody's passionate about you know wild animals, wild wild domesticated animals like horses yeah. and, and uh, mules, but and donkeys. But also, here's there's all these strange problems of uh, of our time, like right. managing a herd that doesn't belong there in the first place. <laughs> you know. Right. Now what? That's right. And now we're just heading back home. Just very grateful for the experience. Annie and Mike saying goodbye. <laughs> Mary and Mike having a good time. I was cold. <laughs> <laughs> and we wanted to thank you, Lauren, for allowing us to have this experience. And for me, it's one of my first times, so thank you. And thank you to Metabolic Studio for supporting this work as well. So Mary and Mike have an announcement.
support um, this program and uh, they are buying a new boat which is going to be able to carry more youth and uh, and help out with the, the access to the program so um, Lauren uh, graciously um, supported our recommendation for $250,000 to help purchase this new boat and um, and uh, John agreed to help us do a retreat out there. So the weekend of July 23rd, please reserve it. They're going to pick us up on the boat and we're gonna sail to Catalina and spend the weekend. Wow. And then they'll be. <laughs> So, what are the things about doing the these kinds of education? We're gonna yeah. do. We're gonna experience all of this, That's even cool. the flat boat yeah. um, from and, Cove and to Cove. This is not required. This is just for people who want to go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would strongly recommend going. I strongly. Yeah, recommend. I wouldn't miss out. So, so the, the the boat, the boat is is more like a ship. They call it a floating lab. And what yeah. it's going to do is it's uh, because a lot of that camp is run by the boat, the Boy Scouts. So during a lot of the the year, they're not able to have access to that camp. Like our, so when the, we're there, mm -hmm. we're not going to have access to the actual camp. So what the ship is going to enable the program to do is they're going to be able to have youth stay on the ship during camp. So they'll be able to run that camp year-round and expose more children to their, to their um, curriculum. So. We also have an incredible program with the Compton School System. Um, doing restoration and ecology kind of cleanup stuff on the LA River. So they're very much involved in the cleanup of the LA River um, at the bottom of the river at where it meets the ocean and um, hopefully they'll be able to also utilize some of the the monies um, to support that because that's all free. They do a lot of free programming whenever they have enough extra so a lot of schools pay like going rate, which is what what um, what keeps the whole program afloat. But then, whenever they can, they they do free programming for folks that can't afford to go. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing it's an amazing program. The the other thing that's kind of amazing is when you consider uh, the work the studio is doing on the greater watershed. Um, you know, from the tip of Mount Whitney snow cap through the LA River into the ocean um, is a very direct, quite literal connection, you know, that a vein that runs through right out our door here. But the boat that you take to tour Catalina is at the Port of Long Beach, <laughs> which is one of the main trade centers in the North American continent. And part of the reason they chose it is the ocean is incredibly deep just off Long Beach. It's one of the deepest areas. And so you've got a lot of the very large mammals that swim right through there. And so it's a quite interesting geographic 
place, that space between Long Beach and uh, Catalina. So it's, it's, I'm hoping that when we go, I'll be able to do some underwater photography on the boat um, that will kind of really look at the nature and the chemistry of that suit between massive freighters, international cargo ships that are pulling in there. Um, the studios also funded um, the NRDC to try and get the sonar stopped off Ooh, the coast there. Yay. We've been doing that for 20 years. Um, we've lost every lawsuit um, that we've tried to do it, but that's also changed the behavior of those mammals in that area. So that that whole area between Catalina and Long Beach is very, very fascinating. The oarfish. I don't know yeah, if you so saw yeah. them. Annie was in the news because they the oarfish are all floating up. Yeah. They think it's because of the sonar. Yeah, well, it's a it's a devastating thing. That's another kind of sound a sound element that we've kind of colonized. We the military industrial complex has colonized the ocean for you know the war the war economy, and uh, it's 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 a huge it's having devastating huge effect. devastating disorienting effect mm -hmm. on the migration of large fish. So you were talking about how deep the water is in the channel, and like you were saying with the oarfish, an oarfish is this really long, it's almost prehistoric looking, it looks more like a dragon than it does a fish. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting is Annie was talking about how these oarfish have recently been surfacing, and nobody really knows why. But uh, in Japan, when those oarfish tend to surface and die, they kind of link it to seismic activity. So when there's, when there's underground tremors, they notice that more of these oarfish tend to surface. Um, while we were out there on the Channel Islands, you could hear a lot of these, these rumbling bangs. And, and um, one of the Channel Islands, or a few of them, I think, is um, military San base. Nicholas. And so what they're doing is it's one of the few places where they're allowed to um, use a ship and actually use uh, parts of the land as a, as a target. And so in doing so, they think that it may be causing enough seismic activity that these oarfish that live at depth, when they swim to the surface to avoid that activity, um, they're kind of a weaker fish and anything in the ocean is really um, influenced a lot by pressure. So what happens is as these oarfish, they swim towards the surface where there's less and less pressure, um, they're not able, they don't have the strength to swim back down to depth again. and. Um, as a result, they die and they float to the surface. Um, but it was kind of an interesting correlation that, that a lot of the death in the oarfish may be related to the, yeah. what's going on on And we were bases. hearing bombings. Yeah. Like it was like bombings were going off. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's it a very relentless. serious, serious area. So I, I, really, I really would love for those of you who are interested to really pursue um, activist organizations that we can support there, that, that, that space of the deepest, the deepest channel, I mean the deepest, deepest ones off Monterey, um, but this is one of the very deepest, and again, that's one of the reasons why they chose to bring in those massive ships there, but it's a kind of heartbreaking, uh, heartbreaking location for a number of reasons, including endgame capitalism, because that certainly at some point, somebody's going to try and dismember Long Beach. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very um, interesting 
vulnerable node both for our culture and also for the sea. So this is, you know, this idea of us going is, is a way of inviting you guys to really think about the water wheel and our work in the Owens Valley as part of this. I know it's hard for a lot of people to grasp a very large portrait of a place, but the Channel Islands, all of the Channel Islands, uh, are a gateway to thinking about the larger Pacific Ocean. Um, and it's a helpful, always helpful when you can go stand on it and swim <laughs> in it to give you an immersive, literally an immersive exposure to something. But um, I'd like to go deeper than just, you know, having a holiday. I'd like to um, have you guys think about finding orgs that are um, supporting best practices and also anti-military testing um, and stuff like that. So Yeah, Fran and Annie will be great resources to, to pick their brains. Yeah. They know so much about what's going on and they're at the forefront of this conservation effort. So they're great resources and they're really passionate. And they also do work um, in Southeast Asia around human trafficking. They've actually, Annie goes to, um, to uh, safe houses for women in Cambodia and Thailand and builds them aquaponic systems. And uh, she does that on her time off in between so she's involved in a lot of things. Nora, you had a question? Oh, I was going to say that Philly, I mentioned Philly before, and it slipped my mind that the Channel Islands came up over by the, on the VA property over by the Red Cross, there's a construction trailer that used to belong to the Navy, and it's still got the tags from Channel Islands on oh. it, so you might want to go take a picture of That's it. Is that over by those weird tanks and the really old, like, Civil War era no, it's, buildings? It's, you know where the, the Red Cross headquarters is behind Oh, okay. I've never seen it. Well, oh. like it's only been there like for three months. Oh, so okay. I don't know how the VA got it or it's probably just, hey, we got it. Questions or comments?